top of the inning to you. Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love baseball and if you love Ireland, stay tuned for a discussion of all things Irish baseball. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. Recently, in episode 16 of the podcast, we brought you the first part of my colleague Jim Ward's interview with Northeastern baseball coach Mike Glavin, who had a cup of coffee in the big leagues to go along with a long minor league career. Coach Glavin is also the brother of Hall of Famer Tom Glavin. In today's episode, you will hear a good chunk of the rest of that interview. The two men are friends, so the conversation takes on a real sense of ease that I think you will really enjoy. After that, I will bring you some of the conversation with Sean Clancy, who ran the legendary Irish pub Foley's that played host to the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame, and former major leaguer and current MLB Network personality Sean Casey. You can hear the entire talk on the show The Crack and the Bat on Irish Baseball TV, at irishbaseball.org. Before that, we will turn things over to Jim Ward, who's talking with Northeastern baseball coach Mike Glavin on the Irish Baseball Podcast. The story about you getting drafted, we've talked about this before. The room, the story goes around. It's just like, I can go to a guy and say, this color of this orange is orange. By the time it gets to the other side of town, that color of that orange was like pink or something. Tell us the story of graduation the Cape and ultimately getting drafted. Yeah. And even like, I tell a quick story, like how I got to Northeastern. Um, so coach McPhee was, saw me play one time in high school once. And it just so happened that that day he showed up, it was a state tournament game against the number one seed Peabody. Uh, we were, we were, we were further down probably 10 or something. I don't know, but they were the one seed. We were the heavy underdog. It was at their place. He shows up to the game. I know he's there. Um, and, and as luck would have it, I'll say, um, <laughs> a little skill. Um, but I ended up going three for three on the day. I hit two home runs. I pitched the last three innings and we upset them and beat them. And that was the only time he ever saw me play in, in high school. And so I often think about what would have happened if, if I went over three that day with a couple <laughs> punch outs, you know, I don't know where I would have ended up. So it was lucky. That's how I kind of got to Northeastern. He saw me play one time. And as I mentioned, he, he talked to me my freshman year. But so then, you know, the draft is a little different back then when I was drafted. I was drafted my junior year. Um, they had a gazillion rounds back then. And um, so I played down the Cape that summer. And, um, you know, I wasn't going to sign. I wasn't a high pick or anything. And I was comfortable going back. But I got off to a really good start down the Cape. And I hit a bunch of home runs and ended up having a great summer down there. Number one, it was probably the most fun I've ever had playing, playing baseball, just being down the Cape. And being close to home and playing against guys from all over the country and my family and every friends were coming down all the time to see me play. Um, ended up leading the league in home runs down the Cape and it was an all-star and had some fun in the home run derby and that kind of stuff. Um, so, so I didn't end up signing that year though, even though I was drafted and had a really great summer and a fun summer. I went back to Northeastern for my senior year and then was drafted by the Indians that my senior year and signed after that. Before I get to the final senior year at Northeastern, you went head-to-head -head with Todd Helton. Not many guys can say that. You went head-to-head -head with Todd Helton in the home run derby. I did. In the first round, I went head-to-head -head against Darren Erstad, who's a you know a pretty popular name, I think. You guys know him, and most pe some people know him or whatever, but he had a good major league career. I beat him in the first round, 
And then I went to the finals against Todd Helton. And uh, let's just say it didn't quite go as I planned. He kicked my butt. Um, he, you know, he crushed me. But it, it was a great experience and being down there. And, and it was just a lot of fun, you know, with a lot of great players. You mentioned going back to Northeastern University for your senior year. How important was getting the degree before you proceeded to where you ended up uh, going in, into the uh, professional baseball? Huge. You know, it was huge. It, it didn't make sense, really. It was a pretty easy decision, but from a, from a, again, draft and financial decision to go back. But I had some heavy influence at home again from mom and dad and just, you know, I'd come that far and gone that far and it just didn't really make any sense for me to give up you know, the last couple of semesters academically and um, in my senior year with all my friends there and, and trying to make a run at a championship. You know, we won a championship my junior year at Northeastern and, and played in a regional, which was an experience I'll never forget. So I thought, just think, thought it made the most sense to run it back, try to try to win it again and, and get my degree. And, and again, my parents, the, 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 the foundation and how they raised me, it just, let's go back, let's get your education, get your degree, finish up and see if you can get drafted again. So it was really, it, it was a pretty easy decision. I remember asking your brother one time, you know, we're talking about baseball movies and I know you're a movie buff too. And I asked him, what is the, what is the closest baseball movie to the reality of being a professional baseball? And he said, Bull Durham was probably the reality of it. And I started thinking about it this week when I was talking to you and you and Crash Davis, pretty much kind of similar. Minor league guys made the run of the different levels, got up, and the, for you, the 14 greatest days of your life playing on the what? Do you relate to that speech he talks about on the bus about the 14 greatest days, hitting the white balls, they carry your bags, they do all this stuff? Yeah, I mean, I was a career minor leaguer. Like, let's not, let's not, let's be honest about it. I don't know what he, how he can, my brother can relate to Boulder. I mean, he spent like two years in the <laughs> So uh, I, I see where he's going with, but please, the struggle wasn't real for him. Now he obviously, again, he was awesome. And, and it was in a great situation where mine wasn't quite as good as him. And so I lived more of a crash Davis life. Yeah. So I would say that that movie resonates with me big time and what it was like. And obviously got a cup of coffee and it's something I'll never forget, but I, I really, I honestly look fondly back in my minor league days because that's really what I was. You know, I wasn't, I just wasn't quite good enough to be a true major leaguer and I don't have any regrets. I don't have anything I wish I did or anything like that. I worked as hard as I could, played as hard as I could, just was a little short on the end of the stick from the talent perspective, but nothing to be uh, ashamed of or anything or embarrassed or something right. like that. It's just, it just didn't go my way, but I had a blast along the way. September 14th, 2003, you get the call. You're going to get called up to the big leagues by the New York Mets. Tommy is there. You get to spend those last days of what would be the end of his career. Obviously he goes back to the Braves to finish up. Uh, and then uh, September 28th, 2003 was the last day. Talk about those 14 days and ultimately the hit you got because I, I was reading about the hit and uh, and uh, you got the hit I believe it was off of uh, the closer from the Florida Marlins at the time uh, trying to remember now who it was offhand I, I you, you can remember tell us about the hit yeah it was it was a, as far as I'm concerned and everyone's concerned it was a line shot right back <laughs> at, at Braden Looper he was their closer Braden Looper went right by his head and that's all that's all you need to know line drive. Uh, up the middle but it was the last at bat it was two outs you know that was the year the Marlins won the World Series too so um, you know it, it was just the whole thing was surreal we talked you can remember certain things 
you know, 30 years ago and they're half the time I can't remember yesterday. A lot of that 14 days is a blur. It, yeah. it just went so fast and I was so nervous and just trying to fit in and not mess up. Um, so it was exciting to start. It was exciting to end. And in the middle, it was a big, a big blur. But there were some, some things I'll never forget. I took batting practice with some guys at Wrigley Field, um, you know, pregame, just us. When we were on the road, it was, you know, four or five of us. They asked me if I wanted to go hit. I said, absolutely. You know, we're taking BP on the Wrigley Field with nobody there before a night game. Um, there was a night game that night. We were at the park at like 12 o'clock. And those are things you'll just never, never yeah. forget and, and some of the guys and the experience. Who's more excited about those 14 days? You getting to share that time with your older brother, Tom, or was it mom and dad and the family coming down to enjoy that whole experience and see the two boys come together? Yeah, no question. It was my parents. You know, again, I, I don't, I probably didn't enjoy it like I probably should have, um, but my parents, you know, they'll never forget that. They, they were the, them and my family and my sister and brother, you know, everyone was just, just ecstatic to see that happen. And of course your playing career comes to an end and that opens up another chapter and a return to Northeast. And you took a little bit of time off. Um, but ultimately uh, coach McPhee has you come back and you become a full-time assistant and recruiting coordinator for him. Uh, was it a natural to go back to Northeastern or what were you looking at at that time? Were you just looking for any option or was Northeastern going to be the choice? You know, what happened was I, I, I had some professional opportunities to go and coach and scout. And I just didn't want to live that lifestyle again, you know, being on the buses and traveling and being away from home. I had just done it for so long. And, and we had had our first child, my wife and I, in my last year of AAA. So I just, I just didn't want to go back to being, being away a lot. So the, the college game to me was so much more appealing. And, and really what happened was really pretty, again, coincidence. I go to a Northeastern alumni event. Um, I bet you Kevin Gately invited me. Um, I just happened to go. You know, I hadn't been back really much, uh, to be honest. And, and while I was at the event, they said they had an opening for a volunteer position. Would I be interested? <laughs> And I said, yeah, and I took the volunteer position and, um, and worked my way up from volunteer to second assistant to number one assistant and then ended up being the head coach in waiting and coach McPhee's last year and was lucky enough and blessed to get this opportunity. Pretty good interview process because coach actually hand, it seems like he handpicked you to be his successor and uh, take us through the process of when you first got there, what were some of the things that you were surprised about coaching or were you even surprised or what was the biggest thing you had to learn to, to work from both from the recruiting standpoint, because you got to learn how to recruit early, which is a big part of coaching and at the collegiate level, especially at D one, it's so competitive to go after those top players and to get that early and move your way up through the ranks and then finally get into the nuts and bolts of X's and O's. Yeah. I honestly, I thought I knew a lot. I really didn't. I didn't, I, I, even though I'd played college baseball, I'd been to Northeastern and played professionally for nine years. I thought I was going to step in and, and really hit the ground running. There was a lot of growing pains. Like I, I needed to learn everything. I needed to learn how to recalibrate to a college game. I had to learn how to coach, how to talk to 18 to 22 year olds. I was, uh, I was in my thirties at that point, low, you know, early thirties. Um, I had to learn how to like run practices and, and, um, recruit and look at what type of player we were looking for. I had to learn the, the NCAA rules. I honestly didn't know what I was doing. I really didn't know much. I, I thought I did. And it was a lot of learning and growing. And fortunately I had great coaches around me that were willing to teach me and work with me and gave me a lot of freedoms 
to learn on my own, but also mentor me. So, um, you know, it took me a little while. I think it took me a couple of years to start to feel confident in what I was doing, really, to be honest with you. And, yeah. and then, and then just, just start putting a plan together and, and figuring out like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I love this. You know, this was at first, I think it sounded like a good idea and I was lucky to get that chance. And then I realized I loved it. And then I dug in and, and really then immersed myself into to everything that goes into college baseball and, and uh, all the different details. And um, so it was definitely some growing pains early on. And I'm guessing coach, you've taken a lot from coach McPhee, obviously you coach, take a lot from coach Sid. How much do you take from those guys? Plus the guys you had at little league. Do you look back at some of that, those coaches that you had, and you had some really good coaches at the little league level. You were very fortunate in that aspect. Do you still take some of that stuff from that you've grown up and taken from all your different coaches to where you are now and what you use today and how you work with some of these kids? hundred percent. First of all, continuous learning, right? Like a, a lifelong learner, don't have any, all the answers, never think I do, never, never will. Right. So constantly learning, but then looking back on your experiences. And even if, even if you don't uh, think coach Forsyth and coach Freevold from way back in the day are influences, yeah. they probably are somehow all these coaches you had growing up, they, they influenced me at some point, somehow, and they probably influenced my coaching one way or another. I just don't realize it sometimes. You know, it's a lot easier to realize how much Coach McPhee's influenced me, but there's no question that all the coaches you have growing up and the coaching job is an incredible responsibility. You get to reach and be a part of so many people's lives. And, and you know, so even when you're coaching at the youth level, those, those coaches have such an important job. And I see it with my own kids and, and how important it is, how they can help them and shape them. So I, there's no question I, I gained so much experience from my coaches in youth and little league and senior league and high school all the way through college and professionally. That was Jim Ward with Northeastern baseball coach Mike Glavin on the Irish Baseball Podcast. I can guarantee that the two of them will certainly talk again on a future episode of the show. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Our founder, John Fitzgerald, is also the founder of the Baseball United Foundation. That organization has done so much great work, and right now they're making great progress in teaching the game of baseball in Northern Ireland. For more details on that and to donate to the cause, visit BaseballUnitedFoundation.org. Helping the game we all love on the island we all love would be a great thing. I'm Rick Becker, and I'm about to bring you two audio clips from the show The Crack in the Bat on Irish Baseball TV, which can be seen at irishbaseball.org. Sean Clancy, who operated the bar Foley's in New York City, and former major leaguer Sean Casey are good friends. Foley's was the home of the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame. In this cut, Casey brings up how Foley's was able to raise a lot of money for a charity that is really close to his heart. Yeah, so so we started Miracle League of the South Hills probably about 11 years ago now. It's crazy how time flies. We, we serve, a, we, we build a, a baseball field with a rubberized surface, which allows all kids to play and participate, especially kids in wheelchairs. So we serve over 350 kids with special needs, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, you know, um, autism, uh, this, the full spectrum. So like I said, we have 350 kids. It's just a wonderful, wonderful program. Sean and uh, and at Foley's when we were there when you had that when you had Foley's uh, that what was the Sean Casey burger was it had a little egg on it which was delicious I had so many people text me hey we're buying I was like hey you're supporting the Miracle League of the South Hills and you would always give us 
you know, proceeds, whatever the burger sold. So thanks so much, man. And those checks added up over the years, Shawnee, and, and you have really impacted a lot of kids in the Pittsburgh area that you don't even know about. I mean, that's, that's, that's what, to me, that's what Foley's all about. That's what I miss. Casey also wanted to know what is the status of Foley's. I miss the people and I miss being able to help the people. That's the yeah. two things I miss, you know, and I, we'll get back to it at some point. We just got to what's, what, what's the next, what's the next uh, stay? What are you planning uh, on? Just, right now, we're just, listen, we just got to wait to see him. And as you know, I mean, the, the, the you know, I mean, the dust is just settling. We just got to wait for the dust to settle and see where we're going to go. The memorabilia is all in storage and it's going to go somewhere. Okay. There's going to be a folies of some description and there's going to be charitable items on the menu. There's going to be, that's where we want to get back. I mean, ideally, I'd love to put it into a ballpark. Yeah, that would be awesome. Well, the main reason why I'd love to put it in a ballpark is I don't even have to work 81 days a year. So. <laughs> I can spend, I've gotten kind of used to, uh, to Florida living, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's like, like I said, I'm, I, I do all these Zoom meetings, I put on these fancy tops, but I, I, the only time I put on long pants is to go to work. You know, so we, we will do something. Obviously, we are interested in knowing what will happen next. For my colleague Jim Ward, Northeastern baseball coach Mike Glavin, host of The Crack in the Bat on Irish Baseball TV, Sean Clancy, and former Major League standout Sean Casey, I'm Rick Becker, and this has been Episode 18 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. You've been listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org. And remember, there's no place like home.